awesome that we serve a God who deals with our stuff, huh? Because if, uh, if we had to bring our suitcases up in here, there'd be a lot of luggage going on, wouldn't there? A lot of baggage going on. So, hey, good morning. Uh, so pleased to see you here. So good to hear you worship with us here at the bridge. If you are here for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, praise God that you're a part of our gathering this morning. If you are joining us online, welcome, good morning, and uh, so pleased that you could be here with us. So we're in a series called Frames, and we're looking specifically at um, our 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, and we are looking at number 22 this morning. Very interesting one, and it was very difficult to prepare for because there's so much of it you want to get into. So. Uh, and I knew we had limited time this morning because we're going to also partake of communion. But um, the fundamental belief we're looking at this morning is Christian behavior. Christian behavior. <laughs> so we could do a whole series, all right? But I don't have enough time. So I'm going to be all over the place and I'm going to be praying that something lands um, where you are and that can speak into your world. If not, of course, you can pull us pastors aside and we're happy to to talk and engage and to visit with you at any time about anything that we preach and share up here, all right? So um, let's, uh, let's dive right in. One more added word of prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. May your spirit be at work in a very powerful way this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So when I was... Um, as my, chill, as, my, as my parents were raising me, um, I'll, I'll never forget that there were certain expectations of behavior, right? We probably all had this. I'm sure your parents raised you in a certain way. So I remember that um, for me, the expectation of behavior was that um, if, you, uh, if you're going to visit other relatives or family members or just really um, anyone, that especially when there were other adults present, that you would always greet them. You would say, if it was in the morning, good morning. And you would say, good, e good afternoon. Or you would say, good evening. And uh, I was always taught, another expectation of my behavior was to say, yes ma'am and no ma'am. Who grew up having to say yes ma'am and no ma'am? Anybody? Yes ma'ams and no ma'ams? Some of y'all weren't raised right, apparently. I don't know. Um, so yeah, it was yes ma'am and no ma'am, no, yes sir, no sir. And um, absolutely, you absolutely did not even try to talk back to no adult. That, that's the way, I, I mean, I, that's the way I was raised. My expectation of behavior was that if, I, if there was an adult, and it could be like a stranger adult was talking to me, I was, I was expected to listen and to respond respectfully, and you absolutely did not talk back to a, like an, an elderly or an older, like a grandparent. You didn't talk back. And you spoke respectfully, and you always treated them with a certain dignity and a certain honor, and you spoke to them in certain ways. Did y were y'all raised that way too? Was it? Yeah, that's kind of the way we were raised. There were certain expectations of our behavior. But this is the one that was always a little bit tricky. This was the one that, that always was, was hard, was challenging. So my parents always had the expectation too that if I was out of the house, at a friend's house, if I was somewhere else that they weren't, that my behavior had to be on point. Yep, it was one thing for you to misbehave around your parents, but Lord, if you misbehaved, away from your parents. Woo, 
They, you know, there, there was no, again, this, I'm not endorsing any particular style of parenting. I'm just saying, in my world, where I grew up in Arkansas, take that into account too, you didn't get spankings and timeouts. You got whipped. <laughs> That's what it was called. I'm just saying, not, not endorsing it. I know there are different ways we do things. But that's the way that I was raised. And it was designed to reinforce those certain behavioral expectations that mom and dad had. But if you were to misbehave when they weren't around, it reflected back on them and their parenting. Oh, my goodness. You were, you were going to face the wrath when you got home. And in my, when I, where I grew up, it wasn't just mom and dad going to come and, and get you. They'd tell the grandparents. <laughs> So when next time you saw your grandparents, they'd get you too. <laughs> Expectations of behavior. Oh, when, when I would get a report card, all right, remember this? You get a report card, they wanted to see A's and B's, but what'd they look at too? Citizenship grade. Hey, did, is that still a thing? Do they still have that on report cards? I hated the citizenship grade. <laughs> All right, because I was always the kid who was always talking, always got in trouble in school for talking and, and f having fun. And the citizenship grade would take a ding. If I got home and they saw the report card and the citizenship grade, I remember trying to change it one time. Did not go for well. <laughs> Never try to modify the report card, people. It just does not work, right? Expectations of behaviors. Now, you and I don't hesitate one bit to refer to God as our Heavenly Father, do we? If you are a Christ follower, if you are a Jesus follower, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know Him as Father, and we are His children. Now, granted, that metaphor doesn't rest well with some of you because you had an earthly father that wasn't a great example of an earthly father, so that's sort of a bit of a turnoff to you. Nevertheless, the Bible portrays God as this heavenly father, and it shouldn't be too much for us to think of this God, this parent, having behavioral expectations on his children, understanding that, that, that this father knows us and loves us deeply, and he desires the very best for us. And so therefore, he has some expectations of us. It's very interesting. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, it's not on the screen, just go to it some other time. Ephesians chapter 5, the very first part of the passage says, be ye therefore imitators of God as dearly loved children. Wow. So you and I, uh, another passage in the Bible, in 1 John says, Behold what manner of love that the Father has uh, shown towards us, that we should be called the children of God. So God is portrayed as our parent, as our Father. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that our Heavenly Father, who knows us, loves us, and only wants the best for us, would also have some behavioral expectations on us. It's not too much to think that God would have that. So I'm going to take you to a couple of passages in the, in the limited time that I have. And I want to, um, I just want to land on a couple of things and then we're going to have to move on. But here's a passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. I want you to listen to this and, and follow along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. I have the right to do anything. 
you say, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, you have the right to, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, for, food, this, for uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So interesting perspective here. The Bible acknowledges the fact that you and I have enormous freedom. Wow. God in his sovereign grace towards you and me did not seek to control us and to, and to demand behavior from us but he actually gives us the freedom to make choices and to choose to make loving decisions towards him that will actually benefit our relationship with him as opposed to be detrimental towards our relationship with him. He says it right there. You actually have the freedom to do whatever you want. And that applies to you, Christian. Now here's the thing, and those of you who have raised children, and those of you who are raising children, and those of you who were a child at some point. All right, that covers everybody. <laughs> you recognize that to, at, a certain, to, at a certain point, your parents' control over you became quite limited. That's just the truth, right? At some point, you grow and you become to where you have pretty much freedom to do whatever you want. And aside from calling the police on you and putting you in jail, which most parents don't want to do that, you can do whatever you want. You can do pretty much whatever you want. Now, your heavenly father, your heavenly parent understands that you have the choice. You have the capacity to do whatever you like. But he also throws in there, he reminds you that not everything you may choose to do will be beneficial to you. And there is the chance that you could find another master. And here's the deal. What your heavenly father understands is that the other master isn't nearly as loving, kind, gracious, and merciful as he is. So he says to you, he says, look, I'm, yeah, you got freedom, you have choice. I have created you that way, and I have given you a beautiful planet to operate in, and a beautiful life, and a beautiful world, and a mind to think with, and to make choices with. But if you choose things that are not of me, and not ab about my character, and, and, and don't fall in line with the behavioral expectations that I have for you, be careful, because you may find that it's not nearly as beneficial as you thought it might be. And in fact, you might wake up one day and have a new master that has some other expectations for you, and they're not so pleasant. And here's the other thing that Paul implies in that section. In fact, you could go back to the book of First and Second Corinthians, because um, those, those chapters are pretty much all about Christian behavior, in a sense. They're all about how the Corinthians were kind of behaving badly, and Paul had to write to them to try and correct them. But you could go back there and read all about this, but, but what you find implied in the passages is that Paul acknowledges that you and I have appetites for things. <laughs> you have appetites? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you like things, and you, you have desires for things. We could go down a list. In this context, Paul, in this context, Paul uh, speaks specifically of how the body desires sex and sexuality. Absolutely. That is the truth. Everybody got real quiet then. He just said sex in church. Yeah. It's true. You have desire for sex. You have desire for food. 
too much food sometimes. You have desire for things that aren't yours. You see stuff and you go, oh, ooh, um, ah, I'd like to have that. You have desires that are real. And not all those desires are sinful or wrong. And are, they're just desires. They're appetites. And here's what, here's what the Bible seems to help us understand. Because with the baggage that we have and with the desires that we have, often those two don't work together to help us have the best kind of life we want to live. In fact, we can find ourselves in a lot of trouble because our appetites will always find opportunities. Your appetites always find opportunities, and those opportunities have to be taken advantage of in the right context. Sex is good, but sex is supposed to be done in the behavioral expectations that the Father has for you. Food is good. Can't get an amen out of y'all even on food. I said sex. I didn't expect anything there, but food, amen, people. Y'all need to eat more or something, right? Amen. All good. But the minute they be begin to move outside of the fathers, our parents' behavioral expectations, we may find ourselves a lover of the created thing as opposed to the creator of the thing. And that's our great challenge, isn't it? Because remember, our appetites given to us by God, created for our, our benefit, our appetites will always find opportunities. And the question becomes, is it an opportunity that is, uh, that is endorsed by our Heavenly Father? Is it an opportunity that brings us the greatest benefit? Is it an opportunity that doesn't have the opportunity to make us master to it? But in fact, we live in mastership over it. All right, so listen to this. Um, let's go to another passage. We're going to go to... I'm going to skip that one. I don't really have time for that one. Um, let's go to uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Wow. Wait a second. You can, I can say no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory uh, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good what do we find out there that we actually have the capacity to say no you actually have the capacity to reject that which your heavenly father would say, that's probably not going to work out good for you. And then he throws in another concept or idea that is largely lost on the culture today. You actually have the capacity for self-control. I know. It's hard to believe that in America we can actually have self-control. But we can. You can say no, you can have self-control all for the sake of preparing yourself to meet your father. And much like our earthly parents, our heavenly parent would much rather see you be successful, experience the best, than the opposite of that. 
He has your best interest in mind. He has my best interest in mind. I like to say this about God in the Bible and in Christian faith, that God helps us to, God will help make our lives better. I believe that. God will help make your life better, but God will also help you to be better at doing life. That's faith. That's Christianity. God will make life better, and we believe those promises, and we trust him with that faith, but he will also help you to be better at doing life. Doesn't mean you won't make any mistakes. Doesn't mean you won't be a foolish child at times. Doesn't mean you won't get distracted with silly things or become mastered by some things. But we can say that there is a God who will never, ever leave us nor forsake us, and he will always be there to direct us in such a way that we experience the best in this life. One of the ways that we know that is through the experience of communion. I love communion Sabbaths because they help me to be reminded of where I've come from. You know, it's a, it's a little symbolic ceremony, if you will, that represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And it helps to remind us that, um, in fact, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you go back and you think about where you've been, and you think about if you're, especially if you're a Christ follower and you love Jesus and you want to serve him, you think about where you've come from and where you are now. And you can't help but be thankful for the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. Because without that, you would not be where you are. And I know some of y'all have, y'all, some of y'all have a very poor testimony, all right? Y'all been good your whole life. That's good. You've done most things right. A lot of us don't, all right? We got a few black marks on our testimony. It's, it's, our testimony makes people blush, all right? We, but a lot of you have lived, you're like, you're doing all right. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And that's good. You still need this. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how perfectly your parents raised you. I don't care how well you've done. I'm proud of you. Thank the good Lord. You've been a powerful testimony for the, for the kingdom of God. But guess what? All of sin, go back and read Romans, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us were in need of this. To take us from the place where we used to be to the place where he wants us to be. Right in the midst of his divine will. And so we're going to partake of these. I'm going to invite the deacons to come forward and to hand out the emblems. As they come forward and begin to hand out emblems, I am going to pray over the emblems. And then we'll uh, receive the emblems and then partake of communion together. Um, all very, very quickly here, unfortunately. <laughs> all right. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful for the story of the gospel, the story of a father who loves his children and sent his son to save those children. And so, Father, we remember today, as you commanded us to do, to remember. Remember, Lord, we remember, Lord, where you brought us from, what you had to do in order for us to have the story that we're living out today. And so we are grateful. We're grateful for this juice that represents your shed blood. We're grateful for this bread that represents your broken body. 
And now as we partake of it, Father, may we continually be reminded that we are deeply loved. And because of that love, we can experience a life that we have so longed for. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jesus gathered with his disciples. It says this in Matthew 26, 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He took this bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. Jesus continued on. It says here, and then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the, that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Take and drink. So as we leave uh, this morning, I believe our deacons will be at the back to collect an offering. It's tradition for us again in our uh, Seventh-day Adventist context to collect an offering that will go to help those who are in need in our community. But as we leave, may we not forget this great God who made the great sacrifice for each and every one of us and a great Father who wants the very best for us. And he did this out of love. So when we do as God expects for us to do, we don't do it to earn his love. You already got that. You just do it to please your father. You just do it out of love because of all of that he's done for you. So I pray that for each and every one of us. And now let us pray. Father God, thank you for this day, thank you for these moments. Thank you for these emblems that represent your sacrifice of love. And Father, may we see that serving you is never an obligation and it's never a burden. It's always a joy because we are deeply loved by you. There is nothing that any of us could do, Father, in this place that would ever, ever, ever cause you to love us less. You just simply love us. And it's out of that love that we turn back towards you and serve you. Thank you for being a heavenly father, a heavenly parent that has expectations on us. Because, Lord, as we live for you, we will live the life that we so long to live. Thank you again for this day, for this Sabbath, for this worship. In the precious and awesome name of Jesus, amen. Amen.